0: second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creature the old things passed away behold all things become new let's go to the lord in prayer fathers we come before you tonight lord we look at this verse Realize that this verse describes man in his iniquitous, fallen state. It describes Christ in his glorified, exalted state, as well as it explains what Christ has done for those who are in him, or those who you have drawn to his person, or those who you have called out of the darkness into the light. And so as we look at this, Lord, I pray two things, that one, the unbelievers in the room may come to belief in you and faith in you, repentant faith that leads to salvation. And then for those who do know you, Lord, that it draws us closer, calls us to see more perfectly the righteousness of your Son, Jesus Christ, amidst the despair the crying out of humankind as he sins against you. Lord, in it may we see the forgiveness of sins. Lord, may we see the insurmountable debt that only Christ can pay. May we be broken, Lord, so that we may be servants for your kingdom and for your glory. It's in the name of your Son Jesus Christ that we ask these things. Amen. Simple verse. In <clears> the <throat> NASB it reads, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. As I look at this verse, I believe there's infinite wisdom in the truths of, of this particular passage in this particular scripture at hand. But I would break it down into three main points. The first part Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, being in Christ, being in Christ is extremely significant. It's a doctrine, an understanding of biblical truth that defines the significance and constitution of the redemption given to believers through the shed blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. As believers, we recognize that for us, this embodies the security that we rest in, that we have uh, an eternal security that our lives are hidden with God in Christ, that we cannot be snatched from His hand, but that we will persevere because of the perseverance He allows us, the measure of fate that He gives us to last until everlasting life. This is the security that we have, meaning that Jesus Himself through the death burial and resurrection has taken upon himself the judgment due believers this is the judgment that was consequently the entire full measure of the wrath of god the very judgment due us for the sins that we've committed against a righteous just and holy god and just in reading what i had written there it makes me think and i've never though I guess that we think this, but I've never really put it to words, that because of our sin, Jesus took upon himself the judgment, the full measure of God's wrath. What does that mean? It means that apart from sin, God has no wrath. If it weren't for sin, God wouldn't have any wrath. Well, what does that mean? It means exactly what we think it does it means that because we have sinned against God we have caused his wrath to abide upon our heads it's very simple everything that God does is good everything that God does is just so also must this wrath exist because sin is as nasty as he says it is so there we have a picture of the unbeliever Of course, but also that must be a picture of the believer. uh, Certainly before he's saved, but after he is saved as well, there's some truth that in order for us to need Christ, there must be something about us that is detestable, and it's sin. Through this sacrifice, sacrifice of shed blood of Christ on the cross, we have a lamb. The final. Passover lamb. The final sacrifice. There is no other. If there remains still a need for sacrifice. Then sin still stains. And unfortunately. If we see a need for a sacrifice. Other than that of Christ. There is no hope. Our eternity. Will lie. With the evil one. Through this sacrifice. This lamb slain before the foundation of the world is presented a life of a man who is both man and God, spotless, without blemish, a man whose blood would atone for our sins. Yet, in the same sense, here's a man who is God himself. The only way that he can be spotless and without blemish is that he be perfect. The only way that he be perfect is if he be very God, truly God. So here we have it. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And in in the same token, John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 I would quote it but I would probably mess it up but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God yours may say sons of God even to those who believe in his name, who are born not of the blood nor the will of flesh nor the will of man, but of God. There's the truth. Being in Christ is being in one who is the perfect sacrifice, who brings about salvation of his own work, not of the work of men, not of the work of your uh, physical ancestry, nor the will of your person, the will of your family, or by any prayer that someone could pray for you. Or that even a, the, a prayer that you could pray for yourself. Then Romans 10.9 says that. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. In Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted. Conversion means that there's a change that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. This first part about being in Christ tells us a lot about how we're viewed. Being found in Jesus means that we're no longer viewed by God as the iniquitous people that we once were and that we still remain to be. But positionally, when He looks upon us He sees that we are his chosen people. He chooses to see the righteousness of Christ imputed to his bride. After Jesus being baptized of John the Baptist, we see this in Matthew 3, verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Therefore, God loves his Son, He also loves his bride. That's what it means for us to be in Christ. He loves his ransomed. God is pleased by the person of Jesus Christ. Being in Christ also means that we're no longer condemned. But now we look forward to eternal life. This eternal life is given only through one Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, Son of David, the I Am. Then in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 25, and this is the promise that he had promised us, even eternal life. Those who are in Christ are looking forward to a promise. There's a certain hope of many promises, but namely one promise, that death shall be conquered. Eternal life shall be given. The wages of sin are death, but since we have no sin, since it's been covered by Christ, the wages must be life. John chapter 5 verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Three parts to this verse. Being in Christ. Passing out of death into life. For some, that is the best part. And it seems to be uh, to the man that if we are in Christ, the rest are the benefits. The second and the third are indicators. Romans chapter uh, six twenty three: the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. John three thirty six: he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. There it is, the obedience that Sean has so faithfully brought forth for the past five, six weeks. We have to look at ourselves and see if we are obedient. It's the first indicator. It's the most visible indicator, even to those who aren't Christian. They can see if you're obeying, if you're following what you believe, if you're putting your money where your mouth is, so to speak. John chapter 10, verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Think about that. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, and I give them eternal life. What he's saying here. In the bigger picture, this analogy is saying that we're sheep. We've gone astray. Jesus is calling. He's calling us to perfect obedience. He's calling us to righteousness. He's calling to trust Him as the shepherd. And if we do not hear His voice, then we'll fall victim. We'll be snatched. We will perish. But the other truth is that if we are hearing the voice of Christ, then there is no doubt The truth that will receive eternal life. But also that will be following him. You can say that you hear the words. That you are hearing the shepherd's voice. And a lot of people love to quote that passage. They love to say yes I'm hearing from the shepherd. I'm hearkening unto the voice of the shepherd. But we don't see him following him. He says my sheep will hear my voice. And they will follow. There's none of this saying that we believe in Christ. Saying that we trust in Christ and not following. Where is your path? Is it a path to destruction? Is it a path to obedience? If we hear the voice of the shepherd, we will follow. He's leading us out of death into life. Very simple. There are many more verses that speak uh, about the eternal life given to us through Christ. But that's part one. Most important part. The rest are just byproducts. Byproducts of being in Christ, indicators that we're of Christ, proofs that we belong to Christ and that we're in Christ. But more importantly, it's that we are in Christ. That's part one. Part two are the old things are passed away. Certainly, if you're following Christ, you can't be following uh, the sons of disobedience. You can't be following your father, the devil. You can't be enjoying a habitual lifestyle of sin. It's saying that the old you must die. The old wicked deceitful person that you once were must be left. And a new creature is to take its place. Corruption. Evil thoughts. These must be laid to rest and replaced with the love one for another. But most importantly the love for Christ. Thoughts of him. Thoughts of what he's done praise of magnificence and splendor at his sacrifice if we do not have a life that is transformed by christ a life where the old you dies we face death we face the wrath of god matthew chapter 10 verse 38 says and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me to be worthy of Christ is to follow Christ. is to take up your cross. To take up your cross, you must be on the cross. You must be crucified with Christ. There's no way around it. As Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. Sin is around every corner. We face it with every breath. And we must die to sin each and every time it rears its head. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Here's a description. Christ bearing the sins of man in His body, on the tree, physically, that we might die to sin spiritually and live to righteousness spiritually, physically being resurrected. By His wounds you have been healed. His wounds brought forth the spilt blood of the Messiah, brought forth the Lamb, and the blood of the Lamb most importantly. You see, the old things are passing. It's a distinct, inevitable truth that is observed in the life of the truly converted believer. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. To follow Christ, we must deny man of sin that we once were. We must deny man of sin and pick up man of righteousness. In one sense, there's not a lot that we can do. It's just a fact. If God has made us regenerate, the man is crucified. The only man left to grab and take hold of is the man who is regenerate, the man who is alive in Christ, the righteous man. There's no choice. It's an evidence. It's a fruit of the working of faith, the grace of God. Galatians chapter 5 Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have been crucified. And they've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How much of a reality is that? That we who say we belong to Christ have crucified the flesh, have denied the flesh, have killed the flesh, have brought our flesh to trial before God saying that we know that it's not right The flesh deserves to die. Sin needs to be eradicated. John chapter 12 verse 24. Truly, truly I say to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies. It bears much fruit. It's apparent in the understanding of these verses. That the death of the old must occur. If to take place is the regeneration of a new creature. The creation of the of a new creature. This is what it means to be born again. Nicodemus knows. How can you enter the womb of your mother a second time? You can't. How can you bring forth a new man? You can't. You can't work your way to salvation. You can't work your way to baptism. You can't work your way to righteousness. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't work your way to Christ. The death of the old must occur so that the new is formed. The old person cannot exist in the same place as the new person. One must die in order that the other may live. For sin and the sin debt to be paid for, death must occur. It must be true also with the new man. If the new man is to come forth, the old man must die. A house divided cannot stand. Should we be double-minded? No, we shouldn't. Live a life with an eternal perspective. An eternal outlook. Isn't this the picture of Christ? You no, know, in one sense, Christ went to the cross because He had an Eternal perspective. He knew that there's an eternal value to the work that He was doing. An eternal value to the sacrifice that He was making. Yes, He would die, but He also would be raised. He also would reconcile sinful man to God. He was willing to die. And then there's people every day that claim to know Christ. Christ claim to believe in Christ, claim to follow Christ, and they're not willing to give up a single thing. They're not willing to give up their time to assemble, their time to read, their time to fellowship, their time to pray, their time to lead their family. They're not willing to give up their sinful music, their sinful lifestyle, their sinful relationships. And There's a million idolatrous ways that people are not willing to give up because they don't truly believe what the Bible says. And they don't truly follow Christ. Christ died that we may live and for us to be like him, we must die. He has to live through us, in us. His Holy Spirit must indwell This is His will for those who belong to Him. His work in our lives, the very transformation that brings about this new creature, this eternal life forever with Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to glorify, to exalt, to praise, to worship. Colossians 3.3 For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So there we have it. That we be in Christ Second point, that the old things are passed away. And then part three, being a new creature. All things are becoming new. When we're saved by God's grace through the faith that he has given us in order that we may believe in his son Jesus Christ, a miracle then occurs. The miracle is one that's only obtainable by the almighty God as a gift of his grace only performed through one man, one God, Jesus Christ, and it's a supernatural work. It can be accomplished by no one other than the very creator of all things created. How can a new man be raised up if he's not created by the creator? Very simple. It speaks of the sovereign grace of God. It says that. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. For something to become brand new, it must be created. If there's nothing to create it from, if we certainly believe that nothing good can come from sinful man, then we have to believe it must be a supernatural work of God, a miracle. We must yield to the fact that Jesus Christ is the one by whom faith comes, by whom regeneration comes, by whom justification comes, by whom salvation comes. He is the creator. He must create within us a clean heart and a new man. This is the Jesus that we know from Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Does it appear even the unbelievers that we were created for Christ do we walk in such a way that it appears that we're created for Christ that we're to serve Christ in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in the times past by the prophets as in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. This new creature, spoken of in verse 17 from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is again a work of creation. Through our salvation and regeneration, we're transformed into a totally new creature. He makes us new. The filthy, disgusting old sinner must die and become a new heir. Servant to heir. But still, yes, a servant. A servant to the will and glory of God. Both God the Father and Jesus the Son. By the power of the Holy Spirit. We're once slaves to sin, but now our debt's been paid. Therefore, our joy is to bow before the King. We're not talking about an earthly King. We're talking about the King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. Giving and singing praise and glory and honor. And that we worship him forever for the great sacrifice that has set us free. Jesus is the truth. The truth has set us free. He has set us free from sin, which has indeed set us free from death. He's removed our wicked hearts and given us new ones, clean ones. Hearts of flesh rather than hearts of stone. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30 and 31. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way. Say the Lord God, repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Cast away from all your transgressions, whereby ye have transgressed, and make you you, a new heart and a new spirit. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? We must repent if we're to be converted. We can't stand by and meet in a building, come on Wednesday night, come on Sundays and Sunday nights, come to the fellowship meals, go assemble at one another's house and just call ourselves Christians. It's not a club. It's not an event. We must come and repent. We must turn. We must believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must have faith that He is more sufficient than any other sacrifice. He is all sufficient. He's the sacrifice toward our sins leading to forgiveness and redemption, regeneration, justification, sanctification. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six: a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. How are we to be sure that we're being transformed? We test ourselves against Scripture. How do we know? What part do we take that our salvation is sure? The only part that we have in salvation is that we committed the very sin that caused us to need a Savior. As born-again believers were the elect of God. Homework is to read Ephesians chapter 2. We're transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 two says, And be not conformed to this world, yet be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is says also in is said also in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives even, even as Christ also loved the church and gave herself, himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Hear ye, followers, proclaimers of Christ. Are you reading the Word daily? Simplest first test. If you can't get past that one, there's no no reason to continue the test. Are we reading daily? Do we meditate on it day and night? Applying holy truth to our lives. Are we submissive to those in authority over us? Bosses. Fathers and mothers. Husbands. We must study and show ourselves approved. We should desire to be found in the presence of the Almighty, to be found in the presence of Christ, walking with him through his scriptures, in fellowship with him, through prayer and supplication, for through him we have obtained salvation. Galatians 6, verse 15, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. The new man created in righteousness and true holiness. There's the end of the test. Is there righteousness? And is it self-righteousness? Or is it the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And is there holiness? What type of holiness is it? Is it just simply piousness? Or is it true holiness that comes from a walk with Christ? It's a very simple verse. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. But there's a reminder at the end. If you think that you're a new creature, be reminded that the old things are passed away. All things become new. Not just your... Speech in front of certain people. Not just your Sunday mornings become new or your Wednesday nights become new. All things become new. Why? Because the position of your fleshly outlook is swapped. It's replaced. You used to like things because they served self. Now you like things because they serve Christ. You used to desire things because they appeal to self. Now you desire things because they're what Christ wants. They're what's good for His kingdom. It's so hard because it's impossible for us to do a work. For us to answer a calling like that. But it's so easy because it's just simply following Christ. Desiring Christ. But it's only simple because He does it. In one sense, it's just the simplest thing ever. We have to be a new creature. There's nothing that we can do. On the other hand, it's unobtainable. It has to be a gift. So the only thing that we can do is if we find ourselves sinning, we must be repentant. God grants repentance. We must be faithful to believe that Christ has done what he says and not to question what he does. But if we not be found in Christ, and we're aware of that because it's a possibility it's the truth of everyone who's converted to Christ that we see ourselves at some point being the iniquitous people that we are, being deserving of the, this second judgment, an eternal judgment, judgment of hell and fire. If we truly see that, then there's a grace of God that would cause us to go before Him if He grant repentance. To call out to Him. To beg of Him to do that which He has done on the cross. Apply it to our lives. We must appeal to Christ if we not see the new creature. If it's not an evidence of our life. I'll shine to close us in prayer.